morning. This is uh, Disruptors Alex and Frank podcast number thirteen. And today we have a we are pleasured and privileged to have a guest with us. His name is Dale. I want I don't want to hurt your name. Draw D R A W L Y K. Drolic. Yes. He's out of Colorado, and he's the uh, national sales manager for a company called Nace Care. C A R E N A C E C A R E. Is that correct, Dale? It's correct. Okay. So, uh, Dale, if you would give us a background on yourself, we'd sure appreciate it. We're very happy to have you on board and, and uh, then start explaining to us, you know, what it is you represent. Sure. Yep. Uh, thank you, Frank and Alex, for the invitation. Um, um, as mentioned, my name is Dale Rollick. I'm the National Sales Manager for a company called NACECARE Solutions, uh, formerly North American Cleaning Equipment. Uh, been with the company for the last 28 years. Um, and what our company does is we provide cleaning equipment um, to uh, in, into Canada, U.S., Mexico, the Caribbean, um, that's kind of our part of the world, uh, with our manufacturers based in uh, Europe. Um, and we've, uh, again, been doing this for about 30, uh, 35 years. Um, and our factories um, are, are varied over in Europe. Uh, when, and the main focus of today is going to be on a factory uh, that we have out of England. Um, and this uh, factory has, uh, is, is our largest factory, um, which is uh, a company called Pneumatic. Pneumatic is basically, if anybody knows Pneumatic, they're, they're infamously known uh, as the Henry vacuum cleaner, uh, the vacuum with the, uh, with the face on it. And that uh, company was uh, uh, established in 1969, uh, so 52-year-old company. And it is a very, very large uh, manufacturing operation uh, with its um, sole operation in um, the southeast corner of England. Again, to give you a, a kind of a scope on the size of the factory, they've made 14 million of those Henry vacuums to date, and they're capable. Uh, we just we hit one of our highest productions about a month ago, making 32,000 in a single week. It's it's not a small factory uh, by any means. Um, and that's basically one product of about 90 that they manufacture. So kind of a world uh, leader, but we're, we're not that well known um, over here in the U.S. So you've got a, a quite a large factory with a, a large R&D capabilities, and they tend to do things a little differently than, than normal factories. They, they try to keep everything based in, in England. Uh, versus going to different parts of the world uh, for manufacturing, which has turned out to be extremely beneficial in today's day and age. So that's that's the factory we're gonna we're gonna focus in on today. Alex, I believe uh, you can step in at any time. Is we were gonna basically talk about some of the uh, radical changes that are happening in the industry. Dale, and since you gave me the offer, you know, uh, as Frank knows, I have a big mouth. And I, yeah, you're going to be sorry, Dale. You turn exactly. the mic off <laughs> As soon as you said, let, let me come on in, this is like, you know, forget about it, Frank, right? This is, this is like the <laughs> opening of the century. <laughs> no, one, no one ever asks me to talk until today. <laughs> this, is, this is the first. 
but anyway, so, uh, you know, a couple of things just, just uh, that you just touched upon, uh, just, just to, you know, prove that I'm paying attention to every word you're saying, you know, the fact that you brought up that it's made in England, and I'm just having a conversation, Frank, about this uh, the other day with someone in my company, is that there's some serious, serious problems uh, with products being made in China and overseas, because there's not enough shipping containers uh, to get product to the U.S. I was listening on Bloomberg or CNBC, one of the um, uh, news channels, business news channels. They were talking and uh, interviewing a freight guy, and he was saying that the price uh, for containers went through the roof, and there's like six-month backlog to get ships to import product from overseas. So I think, you know, I can imagine, and, yeah, and then you also have all the other uh, politics that's being played out uh, with China uh, and, 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 you know, what's going on with China and its neighbors and, and, and the tension that's going on between the U.S. and China. So that plays a major role in our industry. You know, people think, oh, this is faraway news, especially if you're an end user in a hospital or a university or a school system. But from our point of view, you, me, uh, you, me being you, me, you and I, Frank, and uh, Dale and other suppliers in the industry, we are experiencing this firsthand. I mean, there is some major supply shortages from plastics, polymers, uh, to all different kinds of uh, products. So how is that How is that affecting you, Dale? I mean, um, you know, I, I don't want to take advantage of the situation, but it, it's not affecting us near what it is anybody else. Um, the, there's one owner of Pneumatic, um, Mr. Chris Duncan, who prides himself on, on basically sourcing everything in-house and doing everything that he possibly can in-house in England. So, you know, we, we, we don't get affected uh, like the, some of the other manufacturers. Sometimes, you know, I, our batteries actually manufactured, uh, which we're going to talk about in China. Um, and there, there's some specific problems that are happening in, in that part of the, the sector of the market. Um, but very, very little comes from, um, from Asia. Um, not, so, not that there's anything wrong with it, but right now what's happening is everybody's facing these problems. So we're not hurt by this at all. In, in, in comparison, it's about a 2% problem for us, and it's a 99% problem for, for others. As you mentioned with the container loads, you know, coming from, you know, from Asia over to the Americas, it's, it's an issue. It's a massive, massive issue. You can see on TV all the time, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of containers sitting there with product that can't come over, over to the U.S. And there's a shortage even of the containers. They're not even loading, you know, uh, the grains and everything going back uh, from, the, from the Midwest because they want to get the containers back to China as fast as they possibly can to get them back to come across. So it's a major problem uh, in, the, in the world that everybody's facing. Whereas, um, you know, when you go from Europe, specifically from England over to, uh, as we do up and through Halifax into Canada, uh, it's not, it hasn't been affected. Um, you know, we have lost some ships that normally run that route over to, you know, Asia, but we just do not have that, uh, that, that shipping problem. So what, what is your basic distribution then in the, in the United States? Do you bring it in? Uh, do you have a warehouse here? Our major warehouse is in Toronto. 
uh, in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Okay. Um, so all of our container loads, everything comes in through the port of Halifax um, and or in the wintertime through uh, the port of Montreal, uh, up through the St. Lawrence Seaway. So everything comes into Canada first, um, as stored into Canada first as a um, the main depot um, and its non-taxed six and a sanctioned warehouse. And then it distributes, uh, gets distributed to the other parts of the other countries that we deal with from there. Um, so F our FOB point is Buffalo, New York. So, but the major, major port is, uh, is uh, up in Canada and our major warehouse is Canada. Okay. I, I just want to make a comment also that uh, I met Dale personally and, and uh, had a chance to, I've been to his plant in, in the UK. He had contacted me in the late nineties that considered the possibility of uh, selling our product, Zing International. But then he decided he did testing in the plant. And I went there and they did the cafeteria for a long period of time. And he was very satisfied with it, but he told me that he didn't want to bring chemicals into his company, but he's a fine gentleman. And he was doing a phenomenal job with that vacuum at the time also. And, and I love the idea that he made the vacuum into a little character. And that, yeah. that's, that's what he became known for. I mean, it was a great vacuum, but he turned it into a character, which yeah. was one of the very smart marketing things. Yeah, uh, there, was, there was just an article that came out, uh, actually came out this weekend from The Guardian um, with a history on Chris Duncan and, and, uh, and what he's done. He's a very humble uh, individual. Yeah. Um, I can I could share that link with you. It's a, it's a very nice read. And Frank, I met you in, in uh, British Columbia when I worked for a distributor back in 1989. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I saw your face in the zing, I was like, I know this guy. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so the, um, the, the fact, hey, you is, know, I thought, I thought we'd find somebody that doesn't know Frank. This is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, this no. Is Alex, you don't really need you, Alex. We can just <laughs> make our own deal. <laughs> you know, we have a, I, I, I'm just mentioning this to you because maybe we should maintain a relationship. Uh, because uh, we have a, a fairly good-sized company in Mexico called Zing Mexico. And uh, we do not, at the present time, represent your vacuums. So it might give us a chance. I, I'm, what I'm excited about, although we're not here to promote products, that's right. really not what our, our intention is with this podcast. We want to promote ideas. Yeah. And we want people to know about these things. You know, what's, what's available to them. And, and the thing that you're coming across with that's very valuable today is that you, they're self-contained, the company, and, and they're not depending a lot on the outside uh, uh, companies to make their products. They never have. They've been also independent. And that's what made them successful all these years. And they didn't have to depend on a lot of people. And they, another thing they have in their favor is they're totally fantastic with quality control because they do make their own products. So their quality control is first class. There's no question about it. Yeah, for, for many years, people, uh, they just, no, no, not laughed at us, but they said, why would you stay in a country that has one of the highest um, you know, labor rates 
why would you not move your operations to, you know, somewhere in Asia, somewhere in Mexico? Um, and, and a lot of our competitors did that. Um, they saved by moving from the U.S. based into Mexico over into Asia. And it, when it was a, a, a tremendous savings uh, by doing that, your quality control is a little suspect sometimes uh, when you do that. Um, you know, you can't do it right. But then, you know, when you get hiccups in the world like we have today, you're 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 stuck. You know, you can't move it back. Um, so uh, what Pneumatic has done without touting the factory too much, and I'll move on to our subject is is that they're completely robotic. Um, they've automated the the heck out of that factory. Um, it takes literally a day to walk through the factory. It's over a million square feet um, with about twelve hundred people working there. Um, and they've mechanized everything. Um, that little Henry vacuum cleaner, they, you know, when you make 20, you know, uh, I don't want to get it right, 32,000 in a week, um, you know, you're, you're with, a, you know, 1,200 people, you're cranking some things out with robots. Um, and that's where we're able to get the, the production there. And then the end of line testing, everything gets tested. Absolutely every product that goes out of that factory has an end of the line test uh, to make sure that it works. Uh, before it goes into a box. So the quality control is definitely there. Uh, with that, the and, and I'll get into what we're going to talk about today, is the, the cleaning equipment industry is, is going through a radical change. And it, it happened for two different reasons. And this is due to the power source that's available, which is the lithium battery, and the motors. Both of these have gone through some, some pretty significant changes. And, and if you don't mind, I guess that's where I'll just continue and go along with this, uh, Alex. Yeah, sure. And, and, and just so I want to intercede in a second, Frank, because I want to do a disclaimer. You know, uh, with us at uh, Madama and Ace in New York, uh, we've been dealing with Dale for many, many years. Uh, I think uh, since Dale was a little, little boy, uh, we've been dealing with him. Uh, and, uh, and when I was a little boy. And uh, we've been, uh, you know, selling their machinery and equipment uh, around uh, the Northeast and, uh, you know, doing very well with their line of equipment. Uh, but the reason why, and again, this is going to lead into what Dale's going to talk about, Frank, is you and I had talked about lithium batteries. Uh, and uh, we had talked uh, with another uh, interviewer a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had an interview with someone on the repair end of the business about the lithium batteries. And so I think this is a great, great uh, continuation of that subject matter. We may need you, Dale, uh, back again on a second uh, uh, podcast after we're finished with this, because there's so much I want to talk about. Also, I think you're also involved uh, with the robotics end of the uh, industry. You're starting to get involved with robotics, which down the road, we love to talk to you about, too, uh, because uh, Frank and I, we had a whole discussion about where robots are going to be going in this industry and so on. And I think a lot of our listeners out there uh, would be really curious to hear uh, your input from a, a manufacturer point of view of machinery, uh, where you think the industry is going uh, when it comes to robots. But again, coming back to lithium batteries, one of the things that I, I just want to give an intro to, uh, to what Dale's going to talk about is that his lithium batteries are basically inter changeable for all his equipment, which is what I like. Basically, it's one battery that pops into to his vacuums. He has an equivalent to an IMOP now that uh, we're doing some uh, market testing with. 
and uh, his all his vacuums and machinery, his little mini scrubber, all use the same lithium battery, uh, which I think is unique. You know, it's sort of uh, putting something in that pops into one machine into the other machine. You don't need to have different SKUs of batteries uh, to keep track of what you're going to do with your machinery. So you just pop one onto the next, and you keep on going. So with that intro, uh, take it from there. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we'll talk about the power source first, and then we'll talk about the actual uh, motors that drive the, the, the equipment. Um, lithium batteries, they're, they're not new. Um, they've been around for a long time. They started the work in, in the early 70s. But the, the problem with lithium is it's uh, extremely volatile. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very dangerous substance. You know, you really have to have a lot of safety uh, points to, to control the power. Now, the, the work from the 70s as it started, you can, you can Google it and see the advancements that's gone through the years. Um, there was actually a British scientist who got involved um, in the late 70s and did some work and actually moved to uh, Stanford. And, and basically, uh, the lithium itself has, uh, has changed. Now, the, and lithium itself is also changing the way how we use and store energy in many, many different fields, um, you know, from automotive to solar to our industry. And, and what's happening with part, part of the problem with lithium is the demands have caused a major market disruption. The, the demand for lithium is, is going through the roof and it's driven by uh, solar and also the automotive industry. And in our world, what's happening is some of the manufacturers have, have pulled out of, of our, our sector. Uh, we had two of our, what, what we call our competitors, their manufacturers have basically told them they no longer are going to make their little batteries anymore. They're moving into the car battery systems, you know, have a nice day. Here's your 30 days of supply and go find another supplier. So um, because they're chasing, you know, much bigger battery. So the basically that's, that's kind of causing a problem with our industry, but what's happened with lithium itself um, is it, it's becoming a lot uh, safer and a lot, uh, a lot smaller, lighter, and more powerful. Kind of a, a, a series of what's happening in the last seven months, which believe it or not, um, the, the life testing has already gone through. But we went from a series of packs, if you will. So if you took a lithium battery, you know, of our size, you know, the, the you know, size of a shoebox, if you will, if they were putting lithium batteries in uh, to make that actual battery, they were using a pack of cells. So the lithium would come in at like a, a, you know, five or four or seven packs, and then they would link together with wires connecting each of these packs to form or cells to form the battery to the specific size. The benefit of this is you were able to go to a battery manufacturer and say, okay, you have this, this, this series of cells. Uh, let's put seven of them in here to, uh, to make our uh, battery size that we want. And another manufacturer said, no, I don't want them that big. Take four of those and put these in here and, and we'll make our battery. Um, so they were basically taking that, which was existing technology, which was extremely safe in those packs and putting them inside of there. The problem with that is there was a tremendous amount of waste of space due to the fact that they were using these pre-existing uh, cell packs to, to stuff into there. And that's quite frankly what we did when we first started seven years ago. What has changed in the last little bit is we basically have gone to uh, a series of cells, which are about the size of a AA battery or a C battery. And they're taking that cell and they're putting that cell uh, inside of the compartment. 
So what we have done in that is we're using the same lithium technology, the same chemistry, but instead of uh, having a, a shell that had a series of packs inside this, the, the, uh, the shell, we're able to put the equivalent of 30 of these other cells inside of the uh, compartment. So, and then with that I'm on the top, instead of just having a wire connected to the top, we're using nickel to join the cells together. And there's a blow up in a piece of the literature that you can see, you know, that we can share around for uh, people on request. So they can see the actual cells that are uh, put into the different uh, chamber. What that has done with that technology is we're able to get 60% more energy in the same size compartment. So our energy supply has gone up by 60%, which is a dramatic increase in, in, you know, in effect to our runtime. The, the other benefit of using this style of uh, system is the longevity battery. Uh, people aren't looking at, they're looking at the battery, what the run is, what everything is, and they're, they're failing to look at the, at the overall life of that battery. A specific battery in that range of the older styles would have six to 800 charge cycles. So basically two, two and a half years, you know, five days a week, you know, you, you would use the battery. And then after two, two and a half years, you would, you would take the battery to your local, you know, Home Depot, if you will, and, and they'll take it and they'll recycle it. With the new technology, the cycle charges time, uh, cycles have gone up to 2,500 cycles. So the battery itself is now lasting for 10 years you know, five days a week on a, on a use period. So you're looking at 60% energy uh, increase. And now you're looking at a battery that's going to last for 10 years instead of two and a half years, which is, you know, it, it, it's pretty major advancements. Uh, we've been working on this for two and a half years, about two, well, maybe three years. And we just launched it in November. The reason why it takes so long is because, you know, you, you have to produce a, a battery that is stable. So the life testing has to go through. What is the lifespan on, the, on these batteries? Lifespan is, uh, the warranty is actually two years, um, but your lifespan is 10. You pretty know, amazing. This is yeah, pretty if, amazing. I mean, that, it, that's off the charts amazing. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, Frank. You know, that's going to make scrubbers. And, and in fact, it's going to make all equipment, uh, burnishers, battery burnishers, anything that's battery run economically beyond our imagination. I mean, we were replacing machines every three years, or at least the batteries in these machines, which was a major, major cost. If, uh, if now we make these machines to last 10 years and the batteries last 10 years, it's, it's probably gonna affect the market though, wouldn't it, Dale? I mean, in other words, you're gonna be selling less scrubbers in the long-term. <laughs> that's, that's always the problem is when you make a product that's too good. Like if you bought one of her Henry vacuums, there was a, a lady in the article. She said it was over 20 years old. She put a new motor in and it's fine again. The, the, the problem with our society is we've become such a disposable society. And we, we have no, it doesn't hurt us at all to throw something in the garbage. Well, um, you know, lithium is not, you know, it's not something you just want to throw in the garbage. This has to be properly recycled and, but yeah, it, it does, you know, it does hurt your overall long-term, you know, churn and burn and buy, sell more products. And, and definitely these products are going to last a lot longer. Um, and Dale, yeah, also, I, go ahead, Frank. Alex, I just want to make a comment about that. You know, that to me is a phenomenal thing about you and your company. Because the biggest thing is people, you know, a lot of manufacturers, they want to make things that break down. 
in a short period of time. So you can buy another one. Uh, Alex and I talk about this all the time. You know, I would prefer to have things last twice as long and really serve the customer in the, in the, with integrity. And all right, so in order to be successful, you need twice as many customers. So then that's the responsibility you have or we have as people if we're gonna be that good. If you're gonna be that good, you need a lot of customers to survive. But it, it, the idea of the integrity of building things that can last a long time, I think is absolutely the way to go. And, and I think that makes your company number one. Yeah, and then that's really, that's really important. Yeah, then the, the you know the other factor behind that is you have to still have it where it's affordable. Um, so you know you can have all the wonderful technology in the world, but not everybody can afford you know ten times the price. And then when you do the volume that we do, you know the pricing is actually equal to the cheapest that are that are out there, or we're a third of the price of one of our other major manufacturers, uh, major competitors. So the pricing is right in line, you know, where everybody else is with a much better technology. And it's not only the, you know, the environmental side of recycling things and lasting longer, but it's also the, uh, the, the life cost of the piece of, of, of equipment and the life cost of a battery. Um, you know, our, our life cost is a third, you know, when they look at it and say, well, you know, your machine, your X machine is a thousand dollars and my X machine is, is $900. It's like, well, yeah, you're cheaper. However, you know, you have to put 12 batteries in that thing to keep it running over the life cost, whereas we're putting one. Um, so, you know, what is the actual life cost of the piece of equipment? You know, it's, it's far less. So not only is the cost less to, to operate, you know, you have the environmental impact and, and sort of speed things up. The, the other thing we're doing with this as well is, so we have the battery, we have the runtime of the battery, everything went up, the cycle life went up. Um, the durability went up. We also have integrated uh, charging systems to go from a four-hour charge down to a two-hour charge. Um, so the charge times on the batteries have gone in half. And then actually uh, 80% of the charge is done within the first hour. So you're having batteries that can recharge you know, in a super fast rate of period of time without damaging the actual battery itself. So you can charge it for five minutes or you can charge it for five months. Um, and you're not going to damage the lithium battery. So again, you know, you, you're not buying this battery and, and you didn't take care of it properly. And therefore, 30 days later, you have to recycle it uh, because you didn't properly maintain it. That's that's been taken away as well. Plus, when you're charging it, you know, 80 percent within one hour, you don't need a fleet of batteries. Um, you can rely on, you know, a maximum of two batteries. You don't have to have this fleet. So, well, I, I, I need to interrupt you. Uh, yep. You know, we're, we're going over our time. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to ask you a couple of, uh, because I'd like to have Alex speak before we stop. Uh, uh, Dale, first, I know Alex mentioned this before. I sure would like to bring you back. Uh, you're very informative. You're, you're a neat guy. And no matter what anybody says, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Frank, don't don't spill all the secrets I said about him. You know. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> Even though I don't know the difference between Eastern time and Mountain time, and I'm two hours late, but that's okay. So yeah, we'll, make, we'll make it uh, seven o'clock in the morning. Wrap up if you don't mind. Yeah. Your 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 thing. I know you have more information, but before we end, 
Alex will speak, and then I would like you to let people know. We're going to ask you to give us your email address or phone number, whichever makes you happy, so people can get in touch with you if they so choose. I want to be sure that we make that available to the to the uh, the listener. Sure. If you want to make that available. Definitely. Yeah, and then if people would like to have literature on your information or anything you're presenting, I think it'd be great for you to say it. And we will invite you back. Will, will you become? Will you come back? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would like to have you talk more about the robots. And I sure thank you, Alex, for bringing him on. Pleasure. And, and having him as a, as a guest because I do remember him. And Dale, he's been around quite a while. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm only fifty. I'm only fifty-five years old, but yeah, Alex is right. We were, I think I was eighteen or nineteen when I started. So I'm eighty-five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. <laughs> I know. All right, so so thank you so much, Dale, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, that sounds great. And thanks, Alex. Pleasure. God bless you all, and we love you. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Dale. Okay. Yep, you bet, guys. Take care. End of our podcast.